welcome everybody to another episode of the Dine Sports Podcast on the Dine Sports Podcast Network. Today we are going to be talking all things hockey. We've got Mitch Anderson from Eyes on Isles to break down the New York Islanders season preview. Then we're going to be joined by Kyle Hall from the Broadway Hat Podcast to talk all things New York Rangers ahead of this season. So a very New York heavy episode. Before we get to them though, I would be remiss as a Red Sox fan if I didn't at least bring up the fact that another New York team didn't have the season that they wanted at the hands of the Red Sox. So call it what you want, reversing the curse. This seems to be the century of the Red Sox. Yankees just can't seem to get past Boston these days. Again, down the stretch, it was looking like Yankees were going to potentially even eliminate the Red Sox from postseason contention. A lot of Yankees fans started getting the puffed out chest, starting to feel pretty good about themselves. They are beating up on us in the last series. Go out there. Eovaldi's just dealing, making hitters look silly after, frankly, in the previous series and a couple series before that as well, too. Like the Yankees were hitting BP fastball practice off them. And it was uh, tense times going into that game, but certainly quieted the Yankee fans in a hurry, getting out to an early lead there. Really, a lot of people have said, hey, you know, you guys lost last night and wasn't particularly close against the Rays. Well, a couple things from last night. Number one, whoever in the world thought that it was a good idea to build a dome with a easily hittable roof in Tampa Bay as a home stadium, like, I, I don't know how they still have a job. So I, I hope they've been fired as a sports architect for whatever firm got commissioned to build that place. Like the fact that you have to come up with varying degrees of if the ball hits here on the roof, it's a ground rule double. If it hits here, it's a home run. Like these catwalks that are going through the inner rings, the everything like that, like it's just absolutely ridiculous. So someone needs to give their head a shake there. But at the end of the day, we're playing with house money at this point. So Anything past eliminating the Yankees from postseason contention is gravy to me. That was our World Series. Hey, if they move on, great. But am I really expecting them to make many further rounds or contend for a World Series title this year? No, not really. I didn't really even expect them to make the playoffs this year. So everything that we're doing with this, this is just an added bonus. So the fact that uh, you want to get the duck boats out and do a parade for eliminating the Yankees, I'm good with that because based on how last season went, didn't have very high expectations coming into this year. So tip of the cap to Alex Cora for the amazing job he's done. Didn't really add too many bodies in the off season, or at least not any big name players or sexy free agent names or anything like that. So definitely the biggest impact would have to be Alex Cora coming back and making that clubhouse fun again and getting the boys to gel. And so really, really good job by him. All that to say is New York fans that are listening right now, you're going to get a whole lot of New York heavy content coming your way in the form of Rangers and Islanders season previews, but had to get that out of the way off the top of the show. So let's get right to it here. Up first, we've got Mitch Anderson from Eyes on Isles to talk about the New York Islanders. Joining us today on the podcast, we've got Mitchell Anderson from Eyes on Isles. How are you doing today, sir? I'm okay. I was telling on my other podcast that I burnt myself pretty bad uh, when I was tray changing the lines on my washing machine because I initially, when I pulled them out, I put them in the wrong order, so it didn't work. 
Anyways, I pulled them out, not knowing I turned the water. I didn't turn the water off. It's everywhere. There's water all over the place. I'm holding the scalding hot pipe on my hand. And anyways, I got a big burn mark on my finger, on my forearm. It was an absolute disaster, but I've healed. The water is gone. I'm good to talk Islanders hockey. Love it. I, and I was going to say, you're making some time for us right now because you're in the midst of massive home renovations at the moment. So we appreciate you sitting down to talk a little New York Islanders with us. And I mean, we might as well start with the draft. If we're going to start anywhere, let's start with the young kids here first. Obviously, no first round pick this year. So you guys had to wait till the second round. End up going out there and getting Atu Ratti, 52nd overall, who I kind of wish the Senators had gotten, but I mean, they ended up passing on him not once, not twice, but three times. <laughs> and before the COVID shortened season and all of that ended up happening, like this was a guy who they were legitimately talking about as a potential top overall pick. Like maybe just give me a sense of why you think his draft stock fell leading up to the draft and maybe what he still needs to do to get NHL ready because the Islanders have already obviously sent him back home to get another year of seasoning under his belt. Yeah. So the last time a single team passed on one player, the Islanders drafted three times. It was Matthew Barzell and the Boston Bruins. So <laughs> I'm hoping the same theme repeats itself again here. Um, but with, with Ratu, the, the issue when it came to the draft was more of a mental issue necessarily where this kid, like you said, was projected to go not only in like the top 10 or the top end of the first of the, the first round, but like first overall two years before his draft, right? Mm -hmm. This is going to be first overall pick. And you're going, how the hell does a guy go from first overall to 52nd overall? And it was a, more of a mental issue. The, the, the flaws in this kid's game aren't there. Mm -hmm. There's no flaw in this kid's game. Even uh, at camp now, Barry Trott said, this kid plays in North American game. He sees the ice well. His IQ is off the charts. He plays a physical game. He'll be fine in North America already. The only reason he's gone back to Carpot is just because they already had him signed to a one-year contract. So he's got to see that out. There's some weird transfer rules that maybe he could have stayed, but we won't get into the legality of it all. <laughs> um, but it was a mental issue. This kid works really, really hard to a flaw. Like, have you ever gone to an interview and they go like, what is your flaw, Kyle? And you're like, well, I work too hard. Yeah. <laughs> That's his thing. That's honestly his thing. When I spoke to his coach, his national team coach, he's like, yes, he just worked too hard and he needs to learn how to not work so hard, to take a break. Don't go to the gym for like 15 hours a day kind of thing. Take a break because rest and relaxation is necessary. And that's where it started falling because he was trying too hard that he wasn't able to live up to the expectation. And then you got the fact that Carpot's playing him in like a third and fourth line role. So he's getting like nine minutes a night playing against men as a 17, 18 year old. That's kind of hard to stand out. And so those two things combined really lowered his draft stock because he wasn't putting up the production. Mm-hmm. And what's maybe one area of his game that he would need to improve if he's going to crack this Islanders roster next year? Because by the sounds of it, like he was pretty close this year, but there were just, again, some transfer legalities that needed to get worked out. Still a young kid, obviously. So, and Barry Trotz isn't one to exactly hand the keys to the kingdom over to the youngsters right out of the gate there. So like, what's one area that he needs to work on outside of maybe shutting off the lights in the gymnasium a couple hours earlier than he was before. 
if it comes to his game, it's going to be skating. And that's me just kind of like, I, if I have to pick something, it's skating. He's, he's fine. His, his skating is fine. There's some mechanical flaws to it. Like the knee doesn't go over the skate as much as it can when he's at full stride type of thing. Um, but they're mechanical issues. It's not like this guy has stone, you know, stone blocks for feet type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's more of a mechanical thing. And, and he's only 18 years old. So he'll have time to fix that. Um, but when it comes to the Islanders, I don't even expect them to make the team next year. Mm-hmm. I really don't expect them to make it. I think they take their time, like you said, when it came, comes to prospects. They'll bring him over and probably send him to Bridgeport. Like as it stands now, Robin Sallow, another exciting prospect in the Islanders pipeline, is doing really good things at camp, but there's there's no way he makes the team. He could, maybe, but there's no way. If he's going back to the, the Bridgeport Sound Tigers for the year, just like Atoratu will do when he gets here next year, once his contract is over with Carpot. So when it comes to the North American, like transferring it from Europe to North America, the one thing he's got to work on is skating, but that is not holding him back from making the NHL or even the AHL. Now, maybe outside of our Finnish friend who we've been discussing for the last couple of minutes there, who's someone that you really liked, whether it was a value pick or just someone who you think is going to really excel in this Islanders farm system that they drafted recently? Sixth round pick, Alexi Malinin last year. Uh, That's a kid that should have gone in the second round, maybe third round, probably third round, let's say. Got him in the sixth round. You're going, holy heck, what is going on there? Basically, I compare him to Robin Sallow. For Islanders fans, they'll know what I'm talking about. If you're not an Islanders fan, think of him as Nick Letty type of thing. Not really the strongest defender in terms of pure, like he's not going to be Adam Pellick or he's not going to be Char. He's not going to be a strong defensive defenseman. But his skating ability is off the charts and his offensive game is there. Uh, I imagine he's one of those players, just like Robin Sallow, who started playing forward and then transferred to playing defense later on. Uh, And then if we're getting into maybe last year, there's a couple of guys that I really like, but the one that stands out right now is Williams full who plays with the St. John sea dogs. He's going to put up numbers this year. It's going to be, they already think he's going to be a 40 goal scorer for the sea dogs. I I think he can, and maybe hit a little bit higher than that. If things go well. Well, I mean, you just mentioned Chera right there. And this offseason, obviously, Islanders electing to go with a little bit of experience. They bring in 37-year-old Zach Parise, 44-year-old Zdeno Chera. Are you a little bit concerned that they might have opted for some brand name recognition here over production? Or do you still think that both Parise and Chera can still be meaningful contributors on this Islanders team? If we're talking about production then yes to half of it and no to the other half. I don't expect that Char is going to come in and put up numbers. His role is going to be make sure Noah Dobson doesn't do something stupid uh, and make sure that he grows up well. That's what he's going to turn him into Charlie McAvoy, please. That's what that, that is the Dan O'Chara's job this year. Um, but when it comes to Zach Parise, I, I do think he's going to put up numbers. Can he put up 20 goals? Probably from a third line role. Uh, he he's coming in with a fire in his belly uh, after being bought out when he didn't really expect that coming. Uh, although I think he expected it coming at the end of the year, but did not expect it at the start. And just the way things ended in Minnesota, he's not happy. Um, so he's coming motivated if he wasn't already motivated to begin with. And then he's going to be playing with better players with all due respect to the guys he's playing with on, uh, on the Minnesota wild uh, club. He's going to be playing on a line with Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, who's an excellent, excellent center, cast in the perfect role, 
who's already basically a 20 goal scorer for the Islanders. He didn't actually put up 20 goals, but it paces out to that. Mm-hmm. So, and then you're going to have Oliver Wallstrom probably on his line on the right wing who just fires pucks on net from everywhere. This, it has the making of something, something big for a guy like Zach Parise, who we still don't know what kind of contract he signed. Mm-hmm. We have no idea. We know he's signed to what and how long. We have no idea. Yeah, no, that, that's been one of the stranger developments of this offseason was uh, it got leaked that he got signed and then they kind of backtracked it and then, then they officially announced it. There's no details. So there's some sort of backdoor shenanigans going on here that we won't say that it's Kucherov-esque with the long-term injured reserve, but there might be some <laughs> financial uh, meanderings going on. But Zach Parise, just in general, like he has to have one of the stranger NHL careers out of a modern NHL forward. Multiple 30-goal score. He got his highest 45 goals one year. But you look at who he's played for, like New Jersey, Minnesota, and now the Islanders. So like three teams that if you were going to pick defensive-minded first clubs, those would probably be three of your first choices that you would make. So it's kind of a mystery as what could this guy's goal total really have gotten to if he got drafted by, say, uh, you know, a Washington or a Pittsburgh or some sort of an offensive first team. But like, what is realistic this year, do you think, given the his age, given his third line role? You mentioned 20 goals, like is 25 goals? too much or is he sort of in that 15 to 20 or could he go bananas and eclipse 30 somehow this year i don't see the bananas situation unless the islanders power play goes off which hasn't been the case for a couple of years now mm-hmm. uh I, I think he's definitely in the 15 to 20 goal range uh i i can see 20 but i, I could be talked into 15 and, and even if he does 15 that's perfectly fine when you consider the other options the islanders were, were rotating on that third line left wing just a couple of years ago it was Komarov, Michael Del Cole, Ross Johnson, and Kiefer Bellows. And between the four of them, they didn't put up the same production that Zach Parise did last year in what was a very big down year for him. Mm-hmm. So even if he just puts up the same numbers he did last year, that's a bonus for the Islanders. So the idea that Zach Parise, what is he going to do? And, and we're really looking to what he is going to do with the Islanders. He's not going to be the make or break for them. He's coming in already as a bonus for the Islanders. It's already a bonus. So it's all gravy from there. Can he put up 30 in the absolute right circumstance? Sure. I think it's more going to be between 15 and 20 goals, which is the Islanders will, will gladly take that. Yeah. Now in Nets, you guys have one of the best tandems in the league. You've got Varlamov and Sorokin. Is this the year that Sorokin really establishes himself and takes that step forward and becomes a bona fide number one? Or do you think it's going to be 1A, 1B for the whole season? It's going to be 1A, 1B for the season, for sure. But the idea is that they work him into that starter role. That's why they signed him to a three-year, $12 million contract with a $4 million AAV, was to get him to that point where he could be the starter. They think he is. Mm-hmm. When Lou Lamarello tosses that kind of money at a goalie, it's not because he hopes and is praying to God everything works out is because he's done his due diligence and he's seen what he's got. Uh, and he's got the best goalie coach or director of goaltending in the, in the league with Mitch Korn to kind of tell him like this kid's got it or this kid doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would expect that it's going to be one, a one B although right now, assuming Varlamov is a little hurt. He's got a soreness, hasn't really been uh, playing a, a, at camp and hasn't been playing any games either. He might be out for a little bit come the start of the year. So it might be Sorokin's uh, net to run with, but once both of them are healthy, I expect a 50, 50 swap and maybe, you know, edging towards whoever the hotter hand is, but it's very much 
trending towards this is Sorokin's crease. It's going to be Sorokin's crease going forward. Uh, and we got to get him to that spot. And, and this is year one of that, I would say. And do you think that's just because talent-wise they are so close right now? Or is this just more of an organizational philosophy as far as this is how Trotz and Lou Lamorello want to develop Sorokin? That's a good question. Because to me, what happened is they, they brought in a kid who's hyper-talented, right? Mm-hmm. Like you look at his, his numbers in KHL and they're, they're video game-esque, yeah. right? Like 1.65 goals against average, I think, in the playoffs. And I think it's even lower than that, or maybe somewhere around that come the, the regular season with like a 960 save percentage or, or something stupid. It's absolutely video game numbers. So this guy comes to Mitch Korn and Piero Greco and Barry Trotz with all the talent in the world, higher talent ceiling than Simeon Varlamov and, and most other goalies in the league. This kid is going to be elite. And so they're, they're grooming him knowing that we've got an elite guy. This is going to be our guy going forward. Because we have to remember, that's what Barry Trotz likes to do. Even though in today's NHL, that's not necessarily it works. He likes having his 1A starter, and I'm going to roll you out to 60 games, and we'll figure out what to do with the other 22 or 20-ish games. That's what he likes to run with, and so that's what they're gearing themselves towards. Will they ultimately go in that way? We'll see, because again, like I said, the NHL is kind of trending towards a 1A, 1B situation just to kind of like workload management things, but... They, they see this kid as having the talent to be an elite level starter in the NHL. Well, if we switch focus to just the training camp and how it's sort of shaping up and what we've seen in the last couple preseason games and all that fun stuff, like out of the, let's say, rookies, out of the younger prospects like a Bellows, for example, or even any of the, you know, PTO veterans that are coming in there, like who's impressed you most out of that group that's vying for that handful of spots that are available on this roster? I brought him up already, but Robin Salo, man. Robin Salo is having one heck of a camp. And I don't think they realized how good he was necessarily. Mm-hmm. They saw the numbers in Sweden and they're going, all right, well, those are strong numbers for Otterbro, uh playing in the SHL. It was like 31 points in 54 games, I believe. Uh, plus or minus a point or two. I don't know it off the top of my head necessarily, <laughs> but it's, it's very close to that. Uh, so really standout numbers at the SHL level for a 22-year-old uh, player, right? Because that's a men's league. We have to always remember that when they're playing in Europe at that top level, it's not like the OHL. It's not like the QMJHL where you're playing with maybe 22-year-old at the oldest. Mm-hmm. You're playing with 30-year-olds. You're playing with men at an 18-year-old. And he's been playing in a men's league for years now. So since 17, he's been playing at the top end, at least of the Finnish league. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he comes into camp and he's turning heads his decision-making, his playmaking ability, his skating ability. They're all just kind of like, wow, okay, we didn't think he was where he was. Does that mean he's going to get a spot on the roster? Probably not because you mentioned it before. They like their veterans and they're really giving Eric Gustafson, you mentioned before the PTOs, that's the lone P- the only PTO on the team. Uh, they're giving him one heck of a chance to show them that he's that 60-point player he was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if he can be, that's going to be their seventh D man that they rotate between Chara and green. And maybe green just becomes a seventh D and this guy, Eric Gustafson becomes a 60 that, that those are the two guys that are standing out when it comes to Kiefer Bellows. He had a good game against the New Jersey devils, put up a goal, had a couple of good shots, uh, looked good playing with Matthew Barzell, but it's kind of hard not to do really, but he needs to do a little bit more because he's definitely on the fringe. He can have just as good as a camp as Oliver Wallstrom and still not make the team. He has to have a better camp than Oliver Wallstrom to maybe make this team. Because if he doesn't, 
we don't know what's going to happen because he's not waiver eligible or waiver exempt. Sorry. So he has to go through waivers if they have to want to send him to the AHL. And while it's been mentioned that maybe there's going to be so many names on that waiver wire near the beginning of the season that maybe someone overlooks them. I have a hard time believing that I can't see an NHL team going like, Oh, there's too many names. Oh my God. I'm overloaded. No, they're going to take a ruler and look at every single name and be like, Oh my God, Kiefer Bellows. Yes. Thank you very much. You know, you, we've now gotten a handful of games preseason and even just in the training camp footage and all of that, that we've been seeing bit of a revamped roster, but by far and large, most of the core pieces and all of that coming back from previous years. Is there anything that stands out to you that this team is still missing, like a depth forward? Is it a third line checking role? Is it a scoring winger? Like, is there anything that Lou Lamorello needs to take a long, hard look at and probably try and acquire prior to the trade deadline this year? I will never tell Lou Lamorello what to do. <laughs> he's, he's earned that benefit of the doubt. Like this roster can work, mm-hmm. but if, if the question is, is there something that they're missing from what should be typically considered a Stanley Cup contender or uh, a President's Trophy contender, if we will, right? Because let's mm-hmm. let's deal with the regular season and the playoffs separately. It's it's a bona fide thirty goal scorer. Mm-hmm. They don't have a guy necessarily that is a lock to score thirty goals. Maybe you can say Anders Lee could be that guy, but he was injured and under a Barry Trot system hasn't necessarily done that yet. Uh, Kyle Palmieri gets close, but you don't have a sniper. And maybe Oliver Wallstrom becomes that guy, but he isn't yet. And even then, Barry Trotz said he's not having a great camp. So can he be that role, uh, that player, if they don't even put him on, on the team necessarily? Remains to be seen. So that's the one thing that they're missing. They don't have a bona fide 30-goal scorer sniper. I love Vladimir Tarasenko that was available that every Islanders fan's like, please, oh my God, get him. <laughs> um, that, that is the one piece. If the Islanders were to pick up uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, and, and of course, depending on what they give him, trade for him that would be the one piece we're going that it is complete they have now everything they need they've got goaltending rock solid defense depth in every position and now they've got a sniper we're good this is a not only stanley cup contender but a lock for the president's trophy and as you just mentioned like let's deal with regular season and playoffs separately so if, if we focus on the regular season here Obviously, divisions are now back to normal. You're back in the Metropolitan after the big COVID shuffle up that we had last year. Looking around the division, though, a lot of change has happened. Some of the maybe powerhouses are getting a little bit older and are coming back down to earth a little bit. As you look around the Metropolitan, like who is the biggest threat, do you think, to the Islanders possibly winning that division? Oh, that is a good question because the Metropolitan division is stacked uh just like the the atlantic division is so good luck ottawa Mm -hmm. um but the metro is stacked with a lot of equally talented teams i've seen projections that have the devils in the playoffs even and i i I find that hard to believe but you know we'll see what happens the washington capitals are are, are gonna washington capital uh of course they they have depth everywhere they have that sniper like i talked about they've got defense they've got goaltending they've got coaching with peter leavulette they're, they're good to go. So that, that might be the one team, and, and it's been the team at the top. Pittsburgh is going to be a big question mark because, well, who knows what they're going to do with Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby out to begin the season. But they've been there before and called up some, like, insert name here that scores, like, 20 goals. Yeah. So Philadelphia is going to be interesting because they, they did the thing that they needed to do was address defense to help Carter Hart so that might be the one X factor in that division. If they can get everything together, 
they, they could be the team that, that, you know, wins the division, but they've got some issues already right out of the gate with coaching, right? We kept hearing last year that coaching was an issue. The players and the coaching staff weren't seeing eye to eye. And already with the whole Robin Leonard thing, we're seeing the coaching being called into question and having to go on the defensive, um, not really a good start out of the gate for Philly. So those are the teams that I would worry Philly um, and Washington would be the two ones. I'm not really worried about Carolina because they lost a goalie for no reason whatsoever uh, and picked up a defenseman who can't defend at all. uh, And that's something that they needed to do and lost, you know, the 15 goal score defenseman. So like, I'm not too worried about it. My two big worries are Washington and Philadelphia. All right. Well, if we switch focus to the playoff, and you probably knew a question like this was coming up at some point here, but obviously lots of both regular season and postseason success the last two seasons, but ultimately coming to the end in very similar fashion at the hands of the Tampa Bay Lightning, who would obviously go on and win the Stanley Cup eventually. But if the New York Islanders are to somehow vanquish their demons and get past, let's say they meet Tampa in the playoffs this year, like, what needs to change? What do they need to do differently to get through the Tampa Bay Lightning if they are to meet in the postseason in 2022? This isn't going to sound like a very satisfying answer, but it, it's nothing. <laughs> they need to do nothing different. This is a team that took the Tampa Bay Lightning to seven games, lost game seven, won nothing on a shorthanded goal uh, with an absolute huge brain fart from their veterans on the power play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that team's top line was Leo Komarov, Matthew Barzal, and Jordan Eberle. I'm sorry, two of those three belong there, but that third one stands out. Say what you will about Leo Konrov being a good team guy. He is not a first-line player. So assuming they're healthy with the roster they have, and that is obviously a big assumption for any team, when you have Anders Lee up there instead of Leo Komarov, you're already putting yourself in a better position immediately. Yeah, they lost Nick Letty, but was Nick Letty the one de facto, like, oh, they're going to lose because of Nick Letty or they're winning because of him? I, I don't think so, which is an argument that has been made with the Islanders specifically for the last two years now, right? They lost Devontae's, which is Nick Letty light. No, I shouldn't say light. Nick Letty's Devontae's light because Devontae's is much better offensively. Uh, they lost him for two second round picks and they were okay. Can they do the same with Nick, losing Nick Letty? Yes, I think so. So when you just look at the roster compared to what it was in game seven against Tampa and what it is now, they need to do nothing different because they have all the pieces and more to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, who got weaker, right? Like they got weaker in terms of depth, uh, and that was their big thing. They were deep, they were a deep team, and that's what allowed them to win. No, we'll see who they pick up off the scrap heap this year that somehow becomes uh, <laughs> super, super relevant in the NHL again. You know, a Yanni Gourd going out and signing for all these big bucks. Like they, they just seem to have this constant pipeline of people you've never heard of that step up in big moments and. And Barkley Goodrow and all, all of that. So we'll see what happens in Tampa. But if we remove Barzal, because he, he seems to be the obvious answer here, who is the linchpin that this entire Islanders season kind of revolves around? Where if this player had a phenomenal year, the Islanders could be that potential president's trophy winner, could come out of the Eastern Conference, go to the Stanley Cup finals. And if they either get hurt or have a really down year, it's going to be tough sledding for this team. Like, who is that guy for the Islanders? Okay, if I take the negative option first, so if they don't have this guy, it's Adam Pellick. Mm-hmm. If they do not have Adam Pellick, GG on the season for the Islanders. It's exactly what we saw happen in 2019-20, right? When COVID hit, 
uh, or just before COVID hit or the, the season, the first season COVID affected, the Islanders started the year on fire. And then the second Adam Pellick went down with an injury, it just fell off a cliff like a lemming, just completely jumped off a cliff and like went crashing to the ground. They got saved by COVID really, uh, because if that season just kept going the way it was going, there's no way they make the playoffs. Uh, and they were barely a playoff team, even with that. Uh, mm-hmm. So if they lose Adam Pellick through injury, they're, they're not, they're, they're probably not going to do well. Just, just look at their left side, right? You'd have right now it's Adam Pellick, Zdeno Chara and Andy Green. So if you're just going by depth charts, Zdeno Chara would jump up to number one defense on the left side. And as much as I love Chara, we have the oldest left side defense in the entire league. <laughs> exactly. Point. I understand if he lays down, he blocks most of the net, but you know, it's a stand up game. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work in terms of a positive. There's a couple of options there. But but I think if they have a monster year from Anders Lee, mm-hmm. this this is the, if he puts up forty goals again, look out. This is a President's Trophy winning team because that's something they don't have, right? We talked about it before with Tarasenko. If he puts up forty goals and he's not the same player as Tarasenko, he's not a sniper. He's very much net front, which plays perfectly into Barry Trotz's style. He's a quantity over sorry quality over quantity guy. When you look at where they take their shots. They're not the Carolina Hurricanes shooting from everywhere. They shoot from the high danger area. So that's within the slot most uh, more times than not. And that's where Anders Lee makes his money. Right in front of the goalie, you can't move him. He's an absolute immovable object, um, even if you exert equal force upon him. Newton's law do not apply to Anders Lee, it seems. Uh, and, and if he puts up 40 goals, they become a President's Trophy caliber team immediately. Yeah. Anders Lee has to be the most underappreciated potential 40 goal scorer in the league because how many Anders Lee highlights jump to your mind <laughs> that you've seen on Sports Center? Not a not a ton of them. Like they, they are, as you say, sort of those greasy goals, net front tip-ins, rebounds, all of that good stuff. He's not doing a lot of end-to-end rushes, but hey, uh, as long as you put it in the back of the net, it shows up on the stat sheet at the end of the day the exact same way as the rest of them, right? So yeah, they don't ask you how, they ask you how many. Exactly. There you go. All right. Well, Mitch, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. We appreciate it. For those that are listening, though, that want to tune in and get your takes on Islanders or connect with you on social media or any of that good stuff, where are the best places to find you? All right. There's a few. Uh, Eyesonisles.com is the website where all of my writing goes. If you're interested in Islanders prospect information, I have a YouTube channel. It's called Deckhands. Um, this is like rookie play people on boats, rookie fishermen. It's a YouTube channel dedicated to just Islanders prospects. You can find my stuff there. Uh, and then on Twitter, it's at T-L-O Mitch, T-L-O-M-I-T-C-H. That's where you'll find me on Twitter. And that's really it. I don't do Instagram or anything else like that. I'm, I'm too old for that, I guess. There you go. Keep it simple. All in one spot on Twitter there. Love it. That's All right. right. Well, Mitch, again, thank you so much for taking the time with us. We'll see how the Islanders go. And uh, we're only a, a few short days away from NHL season actually counting for something. It's meaningful <laughs> hockey. Are you ready for it? No, my office isn't ready yet. I wanted it started for the start of the season. I have like nine days, my wife reminded me. I'm in full panic mode. Well, we better let you go then so you can get back (laughs) to these home renovations we were talking about at the start of the episode. So best of luck with everything you got going on there. Excellent. Thank you very much, Kyle.
Before we get to our interview with Kyle to talk all things New York Rangers, I want to remind you to head over to mybookie.ag for all of your online sportsbook needs. When you get there, make sure to use the promo code DYNESPORTS, D-Y-N-E-S, sports with an S at the end of it. No spaces in between, all one word. DYNESPORTS will make sure that they know who sent you. Tonight, our parlay of the evening, we're going to go with the Los Angeles Dodgers to win, as well as the Phoenix Mercury to defeat the Las Vegas Aces and move on to the WNBA final. So we're going Dodgers and Mercury tonight. If you like that, feel free to follow along with us or do your own thing. Must be 18 years of age or older. Please gamble responsibly. Trouble gambling. Please access any of the resources available on my bookie's website. And remember to use the promo code DINESPORTS on any new deposits or top-ups. Now, our interview with Kyle Hall. Joining us on the podcast today, we've got Kyle Hall, host of the Broadway Hat Podcast, to talk a little New York Rangers. Kyle, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Lots to discuss in uh, New York Rangers land these days because it was uh, certainly an interesting offseason for you guys. Chris Drury is now the new GM. You've got Gerard Gallant, the new head coach. He went out and added a little bit of sandpaper after some incidents, we'll call them, last year <laughs> in uh, Reeves and even Goodrow, a little bit of sandpaper to his game. So of all the changes that I've just rattled off, just off the top, like which ones do you think are going to maybe have immediate dividends for the Rangers this season? Gerard Gallant. That's the biggest. I, I think of all the additions, everything they've done, not saying David Quinn was a bad head coach. He had his, you know, it was good and bad, David Quinn. But I just think Gallant just brings a whole new perspective to this team. From what I've heard, uh, I've talked to a couple of beat reporters. I talked to even a player last year in the team just said like, you know, they needed someone like that. They needed a guy who can come in, be a coach, not a team, not a friend, uh, which seems like what he is. He's a coach first, but he's also kind of a player's coach where he lets them kind of do their own thing. Mm-hmm. So he's not babysitting anybody. They're, they're adults. You know, they're, <laughs> they're men. Now they haven't named a captain yet. They'll be naming a captain. Hopefully in the next couple of days here, they said they want to name one before training camp uh, ends. But I think, this team has a lot of leaders on it, even though they don't have a captain named last year, the whole thing with Wilson, it kind of came up like, okay, they don't have any leadership on this team or no one stood up. And that was not completely true because you had Chris Kreider, who was a leader that was out. Jacob Truba was out. It it was a lot of guys not in the lineup that night, which Mm -hmm. I think looking back on it, if one of those two guys in the lineup, I think they handled that night and it's a, just not a non-issue the next day, to be honest with you, you know, a guy like Anthony Potato who was a seventh defenseman. He was in the lineup the next game when all the, you know, the fights happened. If he was in the lineup, I think they handled that day. It was was just something that I wish they handled that day and it didn't progressively get go on. But I think a lot, this brings that kind of just a professional attitude with them. He's won everywhere he's been, you know, he's had some weird exits from places, which I still haven't gotten a feel of why he left places or what, what happened there. But it seems like everyone I've talked with, they're really like a lot of Vegas people have said that are like, great hire, which that's what I took it from. You know, a couple of Florida Panthers writers I've emailed and talked about. They're like, oh, he was really good. We don't know why he left. Vegas is like, he was really good. We're not really sure what happened, but he was really good. So I just hope the don't leave part happens, but I'll take the very good. 
Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you're getting rave reviews from a former employer, that's got to bode well, at least confidence wise. But if we follow that train of thought a little bit, what kind of a team do you think, or maybe even style of play, Gallant is really preaching for the Rangers this year? Like, have you noticed just even in preseason or training camp, like an emphasis on any particular aspect that maybe the former regime wasn't putting a priority on? So he said they're going to be similar positioning and stuff like that. Like it's a lot of similar stuff with that. But I think that one of the things that Quinn, you know, he had a couple of rules, like two passes on break. He had like weird rules that he did, which I think those are gone now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys, like I had um, Ryan Spooner on my show and Spooner talked about like, he had have to worry about stick handling in the zone. And then, you know, you got to race back on defense and, you know, skate as hard as you can to one spot instead of picking up your man, you want you to a spot. What she said was just weird. And he kind of felt like it was almost like um, he used the word college because that's where Quinn came from. But mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like guys like Ryan Strom kind of came out and says a lot more. You can be like more of an individual player. Like you don't have to like go to these, like do all what he was saying. So I think with Gallant, you'll see these guys kind of open up a little bit, maybe a little more flow their offensive game. But the interesting thing with Gallant that I've seen is he's putting a lot of, which I guess Quinn did last year too, but he's putting a lot of stock in these young guys to play on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Alexis Lafreniere was killing penalties last night. Capo Caco seems like he's going to be a regular on the penalty kill. And I think, you know, when, when the Rangers didn't make that shift last year and putting Pavel Buchnevich, who Ranger fans, I think, cringe now every time they hear his name, <laughs> um, when they put him on the penalty kill, a lot of people are like, what are you doing? But it actually turned out pretty well. He was already a solid defensive forward. Uh, but it actually brought a little bit of an offensive element to the penalty kill. And, you know, I think Zabanjad is one of the top penalty killers the Rangers have had for a couple numerous years now. And he gets so many chances on the penalty kill because, you know, just his aggressive forechecking style. So having those two guys in the penalty kill, I think is going to be a, a, a pretty good, I mean, who knows how they'll do out there, but I think from an offensive upside, you can actually get a little upside on the penalty kill. And I think that's an interesting thing I saw. And I also, he preaches just, you know, playing tough and, and defending your players and stuff like that, which we saw last night with PK Subban kind of slew footed uh, Ryan Reeves, who they have no injury update in him, but he seems like he's going to be out maybe for a little bit of time here. But, you know, Chris Kreider went after PK Subban right away. Even Adam Fox, I don't think I've ever seen him hit anybody, went right after PK Subban the next shift. So, uh, like Ryan Strom basically hit him with a button of a stick and took a penalty, but at least they had four guys right away defending their guy, which I think last year, because of what happened, you see it now. But really, before that happened, there wasn't a lot of guys that were, you know, really defending each other. So that's a nice new wrinkle to this team. And I think that extra sandpaper on the lineup also helps people play a little bigger and a little tougher, uh, knowing that they got, you know, a Barkley Goodrow or a Sammy Blay or a Ryan Reeves behind them. Yeah, absolutely. And is there maybe one player in particular that you think might be in line for, call it whatever you want? breakout season or even just a better season than they had under the previous coaching regime under this new system under Gallant? Yeah, it's Lafreniere. I think Lafreniere is he's ready to pop this year. He put on weight. He put on, he got faster and heavier this off season. And I was joking around a couple of people. I'm like, you know, when you hit your thirties and you can put on weight, you don't get faster. That's definitely not a thing. But when you're 20 years old or 19 years old, you know, you can get faster and bigger. And that's the thing like him and Kako, you know, 20 years old, 19 years old, they're, they're filling out their bodies still, you know, these are still kids, you know, if they weren't number one, number two picks, they Kako probably would still be playing a couple of years over in Europe and, you know, Alexis Lafayette would be playing junior and then playing in the AHL probably. So crazy that they're in the NHL and it was, you know, a lot of high expectations, but I think Lafreniere is gonna have a good year this year. He's going to be playing on the top line with uh, Mika Zibanejad, who again, he missed 
all training camp last year with COVID came back. The first time he like put on skates was like two days for the opening night. And he looked lost for the first three months of the season mm-hmm. or two months of the season. Then he finally got going a little bit, but I expect him to kind of get it back to that 40 goal score. I expect Lafreniere to have, have a 30 goal season with him. He's looked great in training camp. And then Panarin, as long as he avoids any of the, you know, off ice rushing issues and everything else that happened last year, that craziness, you know, he'll be right there, I think, for a heart trophy consideration. And if that all happens, um, the Rangers will be in a good spot. I mean, lots to unpack just even in that answer there, but like <laughs> you were saying, right? Like Lafreniere, number one overall pick, pretty high expectations. But then you throw in the fact that number one, you're a teenager playing against grown men. Number two, mm-hmm. there's now a global pandemic going on and all yeah. these weird protocols. The divisions are all reshuffled. It's a condensed schedule. So there's really a lot going against him. So I think some of the fans who maybe soured on the Lafreniere experience a little bit quicker in season one there like what's a realistic projection you can see him doing this season maybe points wise assuming he is healthy and he stays on that top line for the whole season you just mentioned 30 goals like are, yeah. are we in line for like a 70 point season ish or I, I have 55 points I think 55 points is probably where he'll you know if his advantage had scoring goals, though, he can get up there, you know, depending on how many secondary assists he has. But he also has a guy named Adam Fox back there who is just an assist machine. Um, so anytime you touch the puck before Fox touches the puck, very good chance you're going to get a, a secondary assist on a, on a goal. But, yeah, I think Lafreniere, you're probably going to get 55 to 60 points out of him. I mean, you need to. The Rangers need it. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't do that, they are in, they're in deep trouble because he'll probably move down to a third-line role because you can't have that in your top line and not produce. But like you said, 19 or 18 year old in New York city for the first time ever leaving home, global pandemic meeting his new teammates had a, what a 10 day training camp, go out on the ice, go do something. And he took, I think it was like five or six games to score his first goal. He finally scored that game winner in Buffalo. To, and that kind of got him rolling towards the end of the year. He could see the confidence was picking up, picking up, picking up. So, and again, like, he's looked great in the training camp. He's looked great in the preseason. He had that game winner against Boston the other night where he made an unbelievable play coming in and, and uh, knocking the puck down out of the air from the goaltender and then having a nice backhand goal there. But yeah, I, I'm very excited about his season this year. It's easy to say the number one pick from last year is going to have a breakout year. But I mean, he only had 20 points the year before. So I, I do think, um, you know, you can you can say it's a breakout year. So For those who haven't really paid attention to maybe his amateur career, Adam Fox, who you just mentioned, maybe came out of nowhere to them. But like, if you actually paid attention to his U.S. development team and his college Mm. career and all of that, like those who know within the Rangers organization have known and been very high on Adam Fox for a while. So when he goes out and he wins the Norris, maybe it was a little bit earlier than some people kind of projected him to win it, but they definitely saw that potential of a future blue chip blue line prospect and potential Norris trophy winning blue liner in the future for sure. So do you think now that the secret is out and teams are maybe pregame planning a little bit more for him, putting a little bit more emphasis on where's Fox on the ice when they're doing their pregame film evaluations and all of that. Like, do you think he's going to be able to replicate that same level of success? Or do you think he's maybe not like a full on regression, but just a step back from the unbelievable season that he was able to put together in 2020? Honestly, I think he's going to stay the same as he was last year. I think he's just going to have an, uh, he just, he's, He's so good. He's so good. You watch him out there. And again, I talk with guys on the team like Zach Jones, 
uh, a young defenseman. He said that he's the smartest player he's ever played with. Anthony Potato. Uh, he told me that his like vision is just like you know, unlike he sees the ice so well. The game has come so slow to him. And then like you like you know, I've talked with other player, other um, guys who are you know also involved with the team. And they say like he's just so even keeled and like so calm, like nothing. The Norris Trophy was like a huge deal to him, but you see him like. You know, they put Norris on his shirt. He's like embarrassed by it. Like, you know, like, you know, like the first day of training camp, he had Norris in his back of his nameplate. And yeah, he like laughs it off and like, oh, you know, what he is like not that kind of a guy. So I don't think that that success is going to get to his head. But like you said, with teams game planning for him, you know, you play the same teams every game last year in your division. And that's when he won the Norris. So like, if you weren't figuring him out in the eight games you played against him, you know, what else do you do, you know, to stop him? But his vision is unbelievable. His passing is unbelievable. You know, he's not going to have a hundred mile an hour slap shot from the, you know, from the blue line to score a goal, but he's going to move in, dance around the blue line, move in. And basically you and I could have a stick in front of the net and he's going to touch it off the stick and go in. You know, yeah. just the kind of player he is. I will say this, like he's probably the most disrespected Norris trophy winner in recent mm-hmm. years. I mean, I've gone back and forth with people about, you know, his EA sports ratings in 87. Team USA named their first three players today. They named Seth Jones as a defensive, you know, guy over him. Yeah, There's so much stuff like, you know, who wins the Norris this year? And he was like the fourth person on the list. So it's like, you know, what else does this guy have to do to earn some respect, you know, in the league? But if you want to consider him like an underrated player, so that's fine. You know, don't don't worry about him then. He'll be fine. But yeah. Uh, He's awesome to watch. And, it, and he's a Long Island guy. I'm from Long Island. So uh, it's pretty cool to see a kid from like your area. It's not a real hockey hotbed dominate the league like he did like that. But uh, yeah, like you said, like he had a good year at Har- a good career at Harvard and teams knew like he was good. Like, he dropped to the third round. I think Clayton Keller just came out and said like he was telling teams like this kid's a first round pick. Like he's small, but like you're going to be really upset when you don't take him just from like playing within the U S national team, but like, you know, Carolina traded for him from Calgary. So like, obviously people knew there was talent there, uh, you know, Calgary kind of got railroaded. I mean, uh, Carolina got railroaded by him at the end there when he basically told him not playing, I want to go to New York, mm-hmm. uh, which was great for the Rangers. But uh, yeah, I, I, we need to see him get an extension hopefully soon. Uh, I think the longer you wait for him, the higher his price is going to go up. Hopefully he gives him a hometown discount because he is a Ranger fan through his entire life. His parents are season ticket holders, all that, you know, great, you know, storyline to that. But I want to see him get a contract soon, lock him on for eight years, have him retire a Ranger. You know, you want to see the next Brian Leach minus the trading him off the of Toronto, the end there. But, uh, you know, that's what you want to see for as a Ranger fan. Yeah, absolutely. And as uh, an Ottawa based podcast here, we can uh, speak from experience that the sooner you can get these things locked up, yeah. the better, because uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not a fun, prolonged negotiation period. But yeah, I'm sure. Uh, anyways, we won't go down that rabbit hole. In Nets, you guys have probably one of the most envious positions in the league because you guys have a pair of young 25 year old goaltenders who both of them on any given night are extremely serviceable NHL bona fide ready goaltenders. Do you see either one of them truly emerging this year as a workhorse or given the fact that if you even look at Gallant's track record in Vegas, in Florida, he's always kind of been that tandem guy, whether it's been Flurry and Leonard or down in Sunrise trotting up Luongo and Reimer and whoever else they had down there. But like, do you see them working as a tandem this year? Or do you think one of them is going to be more of a, you know, 70% of the starts and the other one's on spot duty? 
I actually see it. So last year it was more of a 1A, 1B setup. And Gorgiev had some struggles in the middle of the season. And Igor just took off. Mm-hmm. And I think his contract that he got this offseason clearly shows that the Rangers believe in him as the number one goalie. Gorgiev is very interesting because, like you said, he can be a starter in most teams in the league. He still struggles on breakaways. I don't think the guy has stopped the breakaway since he's been in the NHL. Like, it's awful. <laughs> but he's a very good goalie. He's a very good goaltender. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think Igor is going to be the number one. And I think he will play upwards of 55 games this year. Gorgiev, you know, the, there was noise around him in the offseason. He's making over $2 million as a backup goalie, which is a lot. Um, you know, they have Keith Kincaid, who's kind of that third, you know, taxi squad goalie, who's a very serviceable goalie as well. He's only making, I think, the NHL minimum or 900K, so a lot better as a salary as a backup goaltender. There's a lot of Ranger fans were when the Jack Eichel rumors are, I guess, they're still circulating now, but Buffalo needs a goalie. Gorgiev would kind of fit that need for them. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, I got Kincaid, you know, as a, he can move in as a backup. And so a lot of people are rooting for that. And I think Gorgiev's camp was too, because it seems like he wants to be a starter. And once that eager contract I handed down, I think that road in New York kind of closed for him. So I would not be shocked. And I actually just talked about this week on my podcast. I would not be shocked if he gets moved before the end of the season mm-hmm. um, because he is an RFA. I think that his value might be the highest it'll ever be this year. To be honest with you, it was probably higher last year than is this year because he did have some struggles last year. But if a team's looking for a goalie, I've been pushing off on Colorado before they made their goalie change. Like, you know, Buffalo, you know, all these teams that need goalies, you know, who, who could we get from them? Who could we get from them? So I, I just think that Gorgiev is very good. It's a great backup to have, but I think he wants more. And I don't know if that'll be a distraction from out this year. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head right there. Obviously, an RFA probably doesn't figure into the Rangers' long-term plans. So if you were a betting man, like, do you see this as someone who is going to get probably moved at the trade deadline to help bolster that Rangers' playoff push? Or do you think the Rangers might try and sign them again and maybe do a little sign and trade action with someone in the offseason? If you had to choose one or the other, which one seems more likely for you? Um, I think the more likely is he gets moved during the year, but I don't know if, if he's having a good season, the Rangers are in a playoff run, then yeah, maybe hold on to him for the offseason, move him at the draft or something. Or like you said, a sign trade deal later on, or you get do a Pavel Buchnevich trade where you, you, you know, you move him for a draft pick and something else that, you know, can help your team next year. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel for some reason, I have a gut feeling that some team's going to lose their goalie and it's going to be a, a package that Chris Drury just won't be able to say no to. And you, like I said, you've had, you know, you kind of have a backup plan in Keith Kincaid. It's not like you're bringing in a 21 year old unproven goalie now from the AHL. You're bringing in a proven NHL starter uh, who had a, a, a good season last year for you in, in spot duty. So, you know, he can still get it done. I just, I don't know. I have this weird feeling that he's not going to last the whole year in New York, but that's just because of the off season and the weirdness that surrounded his agent and warning a trade and not warning a trade. Cause it's tough for a guy to show up at the training camp you know, after saying I want to be traded. So like they had to kind of like, Oh, he didn't ever said that. But um, I know the you got to think in the back of his mind, he's played well enough to be a starter. And it's tough to see the guy who came in after you get that contract and kind of take that number one role where he was Lundquist backup for what, it was two years. He would play behind Hank. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they moved when they moved Hank out, they basically made a decision like, okay, Gorgiev's could be our backup Hank. You know, we're going to buy him out. 
plus for money reasons wise, it, it made sense too. But um, the Rangers kind of committed to Gorgiev and then they, you know, he got passed by real quick by Igor. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic, but I think they were rated on ESPN, the number six goalie tandem, mm-hmm. uh, which I'll, I think is fair. I think that's a, a good spot to be in, but Igor Shesterkin, if he has the season, I hope, he has and he delivers on this contract it can be a really good looking deal going out because i think they got him at a good price i think uh carter hart made to sign a deal the next day that was even higher than his so uh, it already looks good already on paper but uh yeah the five-year 22 million could look really good if igor uh plays up to his potential and he was an unbelievable player in russia in the khl i mean the guy was a a big game goalie there and you know he's done nothing but you know look good in new york so far so um, I know Ranger fans were kind of down on him a little bit last year, but um, I think he's going to have a good year. Well, at least he's got a little bit of plausible deniability with that. Uh, oh, did he request a trade? Did he not request? A trade? Yeah, yeah. You look at Vladimir Tarasenko, like that. That's probably a bit of an awkward situation in that locker room because <laughs> there's no ambiguity with his uh, demands. I, I saw the other day that he was wearing an A too. I'm like, that's interesting. They got him as an A on the team. I don't know if that was like part of the agreement to bring him back. Like, we'll slap an A on you, but that was it. Yeah, yeah. Tarasenko was in the media saying I went out and. Basically saying I want to go to Long Island and play with the Islanders, and then he's back in St. Louis. So, yeah, this was more of like, you know, through the chatter of Gorgiev wants a trade. It wasn't like yeah. Gorgiev was in the media, but yeah, that's a bad situation there. <laughs> yeah, well, you already touched on it a little bit earlier on, but obviously Artemi Panarin, all world talent, but we can say for 2020, bit of an eventful year for him for a variety of reasons. And for those that maybe didn't hear the story, obviously there was whatever you want to call it, maybe a, a smear campaign via some Russian tabloids because of his political leanings and statements on Putin and all of that. But if we're looking at it from just a strictly hockey standpoint, he's back this year. He was on fire to end the year last year. He's currently coming in at plus 1600, so seventh best odds to capture the Hart Trophy. In a perfect scenario where he is the league MVP, what needs to go right for him? Like, lay, lay the blueprint for me here. Oh, geez. How does Panarin capture league MVP? I mean, he puts up 120 points. That's how he does it. He scores 40 goals and, and has 80 assists. That's what he does. And he avoids any off-ice issue, blah, blah, all that kind of crazy stuff. The, the thing about Panarin that is interesting is if he plays for Russia or not at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. You got to think he's probably the second best Russian player in the world. If you say Ovechkin is the best Russian player in the world. His father-in-law is the coach of <laughs> team Russia. Yeah. So, and I mean, and it wasn't just tabloids that were smearing him. It was like, you know, the Russian hockey federation was, you know, supporting it. You know, Putin's like main guys were the ones that were doing it out there. So it'd be really interesting to see if he plays for Russia or not the Olympics as a team USA supporter. I hope he doesn't uh, give him, give him three weeks off as a Ranger fan, give him three weeks off. would be great. Uh, but Panarin, he, he's played two preseason games already. He's looked unbelievable in both games. He looks in midseason form. Like he never, it looks like the season never ended for him last year. He was so hot to end the year. Like you said, you know, his first year in New York, it, it took him a little bit, but like he was on fire and I just don't see him slowing down this year. He, I, and again, his vision and passing is so good, but his, he can snipe like no one else in the NHL. Like you give him an inch and he t- he'll take it right away. Last night he had a goal that, I mean, you couldn't even see it hit the pipe and went in. I don't even know how he saw the opening or how he shot, you know, why he would shoot it. But, you know, he found it like, it almost like he put the puck on the side 
you know, to get it by uh, Bernier. But yeah, he, he goes and puts up 40 points, you know, 80 assists, which I think honestly he can do. He'll be a heart. He'll be right there for the heart. Again, you know, there's a lot of really good players in the league. There's a guy named Connor McDavid who seems like he's uh, going to win it every year. And yeah, he's uh, McKinnon. Right yeah, he's all right. You know, McKinnon is uh, is a very good player. So um, there's a lot of really good guys in the league. So if he doesn't win it, I'm sure one of those guys had a crazy year. But I'm, I'm excited for Panarin to have a full season. And again, under Gallant, where I think he'll have a little more freedom offensively. And Capo Caco seems to be playing on, is going to play on that line. So it'd be interesting to see how they gel. Cause last year he didn't really play well with Kako. It was a whole thing that he might've preferred to play with Colin Blackwell instead of him, which was interesting because Colin Blackwell isn't really known as a second line forward in the NHL. Um, as much as I like Colin and unfortunately Seattle took him in the expansion draft, he's not back with the team. So Kako slides up. So it'd be interesting to see how the dynamic with him, but Ryan Strom has turned into a very good second line center with him. Uh, the two of them have really just, clicked right away and you know the rangers and strom have a really weird relationship too where he's kind of been on the trade dead trade block for like two and a half years now and he hasn't gone anywhere and they have jack eichel kind of circling out there if he's going to come in and you know obviously strom would have to leave if he came in so just an interesting dynamic but I, but panarin especially in the power play he's so lethal you know ovechkin is in his office panarin's got his office too um although ovechkin's just you know, shoots the puck 105 miles an hour by the goalie. Panarin is more of like, you know, kind of like Fox. Like you can stand in front of the net and he'll bounce it off your kneecap and in the net. So he's just so skilled. And it's something the Rangers haven't had in so long. Probably the best free agent signing in Ranger history, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Ovechkin. You just look around the Metropolitan Division this year. Probably fair to say that it's maybe the most wide open it's been. Like this isn't peak form capitals. Like this is an aging Washington team. Lots of question yeah. marks around Pittsburgh and the health of Malkin and Crosby and all that. So you look around, there's no real runaway like, oh, they're they're clearly going to win this division this year. So if you're looking around, like who do you view as the biggest threats to the Rangers? If the Rangers aren't going to win the division, like who do you think would be the ones that are going to step up this year? Yeah, like you said, the Metropolitan Division is kind of crazy. So you have the Islanders in Carolina, who I think are the top two teams in the division right now, they're the most complete teams. They've been very good for many years now. They're playoff tested. Carolina kind of got a taste of that Atlantic division last year, going up against Tampa and Florida and battling those teams. And I think they're battle tested Carolina. I think Carolina's really good. I think they had an upgrading goalie, you know, as much as I hate, you know, Ranger fans and people might hate it. Tony D'Angelo's could be a great addition for that team. You know, all the baggage he brings, but he's a really good hockey player. He was, you know, he was the 12th. Uh, he came in 12th in the Norris trophy uh the year before you know the whole issue with the rangers so mm -hmm. he's a really good player they got for dirt cheap down there uh so he's a great addition and then the islanders i mean they just get better every year it seems like you know honors lee's back their goaltending's probably the best goalie tandem in the nhl you know zach parisi the ranger fans got rid of him years ago with with uh, new jersey now he's back in the division you just know parisi's gonna score 25 goals like that's just gonna happen probably char is there now again you know, who knows what he's going to do, but you know, anytime you see Char on the ice, it's not a good thing. <laughs> so I think those are the two best teams. And then you got Pittsburgh, Philly, and Washington kind of, you know, right there that are all very good teams. Ovechkin's never going to let the Capitals really, you know, lose. Uh, you know, he, they've been great for so many years with him. Pittsburgh, I think, is a team that might take a step backwards. So Crosby's hurt, Malkin's hurt. 
They didn't do really a lot this offseason. They improved that team. Their goaltending, I think, is a, still a question mark there. So I think this might be maybe the start to the, not the fall, but like, you know, a little regression for the Penguins. And I think Philly is probably the team to watch. Their roster is really good. Um, and their roster is really good last year, too. They just, you know, Carter Hart really struggled last year. He, he's, I don't know what his problem was. I know, I think he was playing hurt. I don't know what his deal was, but, you know, if he gets going, I think Philly can be a really good team. Um, as much as I hate to say it, because, you know, the rivalry between the Rangers and Philly is, is strong. And, you know, I think they got like seven former Rangers down there. Now, Vigneault's got a whole team of former Rangers. You know, Keith Yandel's a big, a nice addition for them, especially on the penalty, on the power play. So I think Philly's going to be good. And then the Rangers, obviously, I think it'd be right there. And that, you know, it's going to be a battle between those teams, I think, for that third spot and that maybe first or, you know, wild card there. New Jersey doesn't really do anything for me. I think they had some good additions. Dougie Hamilton was a good signing, but I still think, you know, you got him and PK Subban making 20 million on your cap. Like that's a lot to give two defensemen, mm-hmm. which is kind of why it's tough for Truba to have the deal he has now. And then you can give Fox a deal. So you kind of see what happened in New Jersey where PK is kind of not really lived up to that contract. Uh, and they got issues in goalie there too. Mackenzie Black was not vaccinated, so he can't play some games. And Bernier is kind of coming in after an okay season with Detroit where he was good, but the team was terrible. So like, you know, what is his record indicating like the team being bad or is it him? So they're an interesting team, but I don't think they're a playoff team. And then Columbus, I think, unfortunately, is just they're they're rebuilding or whatever they're doing down in there. It's like coaching change and everything else. I, I think Columbus is unfortunately going to be the bottom of the division, but it's inter- It's wide open. Like you said, it, it could be six teams battling for a playoff spot to the very end. But uh, if anything, it's giving you, and you look across the entire NHL, there's not too many teams. You can be like, Oh, they're terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of really good power in the NHL right now. A lot of teams that you, you can make a case for most divisions that are have five or six teams that can be playoff contending teams. Um, so, but the Metro, obviously it, it's going to be tough coming out of there. And, the, and not only that, it, just like, tough teams the islanders are a tough team like the washington's a tough team so the rangers toughening up is something that needed to happen you could say it was too much of a snap decision after the the reeves incident i mean like the um wilson incident but they needed to get tougher in general for years they've been pushed around in that division so it was good to see them add some guys and one guy i will say he's now i'm now in the fan club i am a big fan of him sammy blay you're, you're the charter. I am a huge Sammy Blake's fan club. Right? I, I I started the Kevin Rooney fan club last year. I think I'm still the only one in it. <laughs> I am now adding Sammy Blake to the collection. That guy, he hits anything that moves. I don't think he cares if it's a ref, anything. He hits everything <laughs> on the ice. Uh, he had a nice goal. He scored a couple goals in the preseason so far. He's going to play a fourth-line role, playing the second power play unit. as He's going to park his 6-2 body in front of the net. Uh, he's wide as can be, so it's great for the power play, but um, I'm a big uh, Sammy Blaze supporter right now, so he's a guy to watch out for. If he has a big year, we got we'll play this clip back and say back in October. Yeah, I said Sammy Blaze will be a, a player to watch. There you go. All right. Well, we hate to boil things down to you know one or two things needing to happen, but if you were gonna pinpoint like what the Ranger season really hinges on, like what needs to go right if this team is going to be a playoff team this year. Three things. There's three things that have to go right. Lafreniere and Kako need to take that next step in their development. They just need to. If they don't have the Rangers put too much stock in them, trading away Pavel Buchnevich, not adding another goal scorer, 
giving these kids that top six minutes, they have to produce, mm-hmm. you know, they, they law for needs to score 30 goals. Kako needs to have 20 goals. They need to contribute on special teams. That just has to happen for them. Number two, Igor Shosturkin needs to have a big year. He needs to live up to his new contract. You know, it, it they'll, they'll go as far as Igor can take them. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who can get very hot. If the Rangers come into the playoffs as a wild card team, if Igor's hot, they can make some noise, I think. And number three is I think they, they just need no off-ice distractions this year. Mm-hmm. Like, that was like, they just need to have no Tony D'Angelo distraction. They need to have no Panarin with Putin distraction. They don't need, you know, COVID distraction. Like, all this stuff that happened last year, you know, the coaching staff having COVID for a month, like for a week. This had so many, like you name the issues. It was crazy. Like, I remember writing an article on belly up sports that like, I think we we're a month into the season or two months into the season. I'm like seven things that happened. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's been 60 days since the start of the season. You know, like it's a bad getting COVID to start the year off. And then, you know, the burner account for Tony D'Angelo going off and, while they're on their first away trip. And then Tony D'Angelo, quote unquote, getting to have an argument and pushing match with Gorgiev in the locker room. And then Poo- and it's like, what is next with this team? And then finally they got so hot towards the end, they make the run and they just ran out of time. But um, if they if they can stay away from any off-ice distraction or stuff like that, I think, honestly, I think they're a 90-plus point team that is right there in the playoff race. Amazing. Well, Kyle, we could sit here all day talking New York Rangers with you, but for those that do want to get more New York Rangers information or tune into any of your podcasts or articles or any of that good stuff you got going on, where are the best places to find you these days? So I host the podcast for the Rangers. It's called Belly. It's called the Broadway Hat Podcast. Um, you can find it on Twitter at Broadway Hat Pod or on Instagram and Facebook at the Broadway Hat Podcast. Um, you can, you know, just follow me at K Hall NY on Twitter. I, tweet during most ranger games i usually have most you know updates i put them out there uh i also i'm the beat reporter for belly up sports so go check out bellyupsports.com uh, and i post all my articles on both accounts so game recaps you know updates injury updates you know cover it all hopefully we're, we're starting up uh, the youtube channel for the podcast it seems like everyone wants to be on youtube now so i'm trying to figure that out and uh and this week's newest episode should be the first one on there uh, we played around with it way back when we first started the show and uh, we couldn't really figure out the whole, like vi- I don't know, we, we got the video going, but like, it was just, it didn't do much. So we have a new strategy going now. So we're going to get that going. So make sure you go check us out on YouTube. I think it's just the Broadway hat podcast Just search it on YouTube, but, uh, and you can find the show anywhere you stream, you know, on Amazon uh, music, Google play, Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, go check it out. We have 94 Stanley Cup champion Mike Hartman on. Uh, I'm sorry, Mike Hudson. We have Mike uh, Hartman coming on soon. Current players on, former players on. So um, we go kind of just talk about their careers and uh, kind of get the behind the scenes story of where they were and try to get some good stories no one's heard about. You know, we just had Kevin Miller on who was played for the Rangers and a bunch of, I think he played for nine teams. So there's half the NHL he played with. So you hear some great stories from those guys. So uh, yeah. go check it out. And thanks for having me on today. Anytime. All right. Well, we'll see what has uh, in store for the 2021 version of the New York Rangers. As you say, hopefully a little bit less off ice drama though, surrounding this season. (laughs) It helps writing, but doesn't help the team. (laughs) 
And that's a wrap for another episode of the Dine Sports Podcast on the Dine Sports Podcast Network. As always, a huge thank you goes out to both our guests today, Mitch and Kyle, for stopping by and talking all things Islanders and Rangers with us. Should be an exciting season, so be sure to check out their podcast, as well as all the stuff they've got going on, social media-wise, websites, articles, and more. If you haven't already, check out DinesPressBox.com. That's where our whole team is throwing up all sorts of daily content, behind the scenes videos, exclusive athlete interviews, and more. So lots of hard work going into that. Make sure you go and check that out today. Until next time, folks, stay safe, and we'll see you in a bit.